Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 34. This week, Brian and I are doing something a bit different. Instead of having just one topic we are discussing, I'm asking Brian some follow-up questions about topics we've already discussed. We talk about the King James Version of the Bible and why some think it's the only true version of the Bible, whether or not we are in the end times, and also, how should we reconcile God in the Old Testament and the conquests of Israel with Jesus in the New Testament? It's a great conversation. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you mind leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a review on Facebook? If that's not your thing, would you mind sharing the post about this episode or another episode you've enjoyed on Facebook? or just tell a friend. That works too. We'd love to expand our audience. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. You ready? Let's do it. That's what you that's what I used to say. Bonk, 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 bonk. Do you remember that? That's what you used to do. <laughs> okay, we're going to go. Bonk, 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 bonk. So what are we talking about, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, welcome back hey. to the Bistro. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm great. Hey, I, you know, I've had a few weeks off. It's been nice. Spent yeah. some time with some extended family at the beach, which was nice. Yes. So. We see those pictures. Were, we'll yeah. have to put some photos up, you know, mm. you enjoying that. <laughs> Maybe. That was the wrong answer. <laughs> we won't put any photos up. Got some. I've got some, uh, you know, got a little sun. Yeah. You're looking good. Thank you. Well, looking healthy. Invigorated. Thank full you. Full of life. Yeah. So yes, so so it's a little bit different today, Ryan. What are we talking? You usually say to me, "What are we talking about, Brian?" So. We are going experimental today, oh, no. a little avant-garde. Okay, Bible Bistro. Right. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really a pretty popular format for podcasts, okay. but for us, it's a little different. Okay, so I thought we might, you know, we've we've got quite a few episodes out there, and yeah. kind of rewind and maybe ask a couple questions that we've heard from other folks that have like, "Hey, okay. what about this?" or "What about that?" and so. We're going to cover a wide range of topics okay. today. Sounds so, good. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. So first off, so we talked about Bible translations not right. too long ago. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, the deficiencies and proficiencies, right. you know, right. just that, that there's different differences, differences yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to talk about is, um, and I think this is kind of unique, that, that there are some that are, some folks out there, they go to churches that are... King James version only, and okay. it's all, it's like a theological right decision for them. Yeah. Like, well, this is the this is the only one. This is the only one that's true. Like, right. Talk to us a little bit about actually. That. You know, I went to I went to school in Scotland for a while. I haven't told you this story. I don't think I went to school in Scotland for a while, and there were several people from all over the world that were part of my program. We, you know, were students with mm-hmm. me there, and one of them was from the Philippines and belonged to a King James only version church in the Philippines. Wow. Interestingly enough. But yes. yeah, so so I, I've talked about this a little bit before. So the King James, of course, was uh, published in 1611 mm-hmm. uh, originally. Um, and I've talked about when we when we talked about Bible versions, I think I mentioned this and early on, very early in our in our podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. We had an episode on the Bible and I talked a little bit about the Greek text mm-hmm. uh, that that lays behind the Bible that. that all Bibles are translation. King James Version is a translation into 
King James English, you know, 1611. Yes, yes. And and if you read it, I mean, and I'll say the King James Bible is the one that I grew up with. I that's I still have things I, I think I've mentioned a couple times in the podcast. There's there's verses I have memorized in the King James Version, you know. Um, the the big thing I would say with the King James Version, and one of the things that bothers people is there are some differences in in some of these verses that we have. Sometimes it's the wording as well. But uh, the Greek text that lays behind the King James Version, and I think I've mentioned this, the New King James Version, the Greek text that that is behind it is not the normal text that most Bible scholars use or that like when I look up a word in the Greek that I use, which is the, we call it the eclectic text. In other words, it's it's drawing from a number of different manuscripts in order to, to derive what we believe is the most accurate representation of the original manuscripts, mm-hmm. the eclectic text. But instead, it's based on the majority text text, which was done by a guy named Desiderius Erasmus um, in, in the in the 15th century. You know, pretty early, he only had a small number of texts available to him. I can't remember seven or nine now, but but he at, at this moment, but he he would, um, you know, look at the majority. It's sometimes called, you'll see it called two different things today, the majority text or the textus receptus uh, mm-hmm. is the Latin You'll sometimes see it referred to. And, and so the King James is based on that. Now, what happens is there's a couple of problems there because we we now have what we believe are earlier um, manuscripts closer to the time of the original manuscripts that then were available to Desiderius Erasmus. And, and so there are some of these verses. Um, I, I think I've mentioned it before, the Johannine comma in 1 John, for example. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the most famous is um, John seven fifty three to eight eleven the the story of the pericope adulteri the uh, <laughs> say that again <laughs> the story of the ad- <laughs> yep I the, got it the story of the adulterous woman mm-hmm. that that we find in in that uh, in that text which is many people's favorite stories one of their favorite stories from scripture but which does not seem to belong. In the Gospel of John, at least there, mm-hmm. not saying it's not an authentic story, but it doesn't seem to have been in the original mm-hmm. manuscript for a number of different reasons. I don't think I've gone through all the re- – I can't remember if we've talked about this or not. I've got to forget to the point. I've forgotten what we're talking about. <laughs> so, so here's what I'll say about the King James Version. Um, that text is, is one of the issues. And so, again, people – now. If you grew up with the King James Version, what you end up saying is things like, well, when you read from the NIV – You've let the NIV's left out these verses. Well, what the NIV would say is those verses were not in the original, but they were added later. Mm-hmm. So, so that's part of the issue with the King James version only. This the second thing is simply a matter of practicality that most of us do not regularly speak in King James English. I, what is that was saying? And there are words. Not only is it difficult to understand, but there are some words that change. Uh, language has a way of changing their meaning over time. I'm trying to think of uh, some of the examples that I used to use. This I probably shouldn't use in today's world, but <laughs> but but words change their meaning over time. It, it's the natural way when when language works. And so you can, you might think about you know for those of us who are older, words that we used when we were kids that now have a different meaning. Uh, well, this is, is going to date me, but you, you remember bad. Like, yeah. th- there was a time where bad meant good, right? <laughs> like, oh man, that's bad. Yeah, know? and we meant by that, oh, that's that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, well, cool is another example. You know, th- there's a word that used to mean something different, and then we've used it vernacularly, and and language changes. I mean, that's just the way that language works. 
Um, and so language changes over time. It doesn't matter if it's Greek. You know, again, the new the, the New Testament's written in the Koine Greek. There's Greek that existed before that, Greek that existed after that. Greeks changed, but um, you know that it, it's the idea of um, you know the language changing. The the biggest example I can think of this is um, the idea of of let. Uh, which used to mean keep from, <laughs> but which now really? means which now means allow, uh, and so that's that's an example that we see in the King James version. So there are people who read the King James version to say things that that it doesn't necessarily say, and so I think we have to be careful there with that. N- nothing wrong with using the King James version, just like I said with every version, though we need to compare it to others. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you're going to use the King James Version regularly, you need to make sure you're comparing it to versions that um, that uh, use in the eclectic text, the Greek text that we now have available, which is, I think, much – myself and the majority of Bible scholars throughout the world <laughs> you know, think is much closer to the original versions of what John wrote, for example, when he signed the – you know, Gospel of John finished it and signed it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, or First Peter, or you know, whatever, whatever you want to use for the New Testament. Old Testament has not changed that much, although there are a few places, very few places in the uh, uh, from the Dead Sea Scrolls that we now have the earliest Hebrew copies of the Old Testament that are available to us. And there's been a few changes, but you know, again, we talked before about how careful. Um, those who copied the Old Testament were in copying that. So that's that's what I would say. So what you're saying is, is there's mm-hmm. nothing like God hasn't specifically blessed so. the KJV no. for. And, and that's yeah. Some people say it, it, it is. Uh, let me tell you a story. <laughs> this happened when I was I was preaching at a church in 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 Kentucky, and and a person moved in around the corner from me. He was a pastor of a of a independent Baptist church, which is King James only. The congregation was mm-hmm. just King James only. So when we met. I didn't know this yet, but he he said, "Well, what version do you preach out of?" I said, "Oh, I preach." And this was back in nineties, I guess, mid nineties, mm-hmm. maybe early nineties. And I said, "I preach out of King James Ver- or the the NIV, <laughs> the the uh, and this was the the older eighty four NIV." Um, and you know, I said, "He said, well, why do you do that?" I said, "Well," and he called it by the way, the new ignorant version is what he called it, but. Oh. You kind of get a glimpse behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah. That. But, but I, uh, you know, I said, well, that's what most people have. And I said the same thing I said to you. Any version has problems, and and you know, and so I, he said, well, what do you study from? And I said, well, I study from the Greek. And so we got out. He, I don't think he'd ever seen a Greek New Testament. So we pulled out the Greek New Testament, and we're, you know, I'm showing him, kind of reading through some stuff, and kind of showing him, you know. And I said, that's that's the thing is we need to understand what these translations come from. And so he went away, and I think he kind of conferred with some other people. And, and so, uh, so he came back and, you know, said, well, you know, we, we believe in the King James. So I asked him this question because I kind of prepared myself a little bit as well. I said, well, what about people who speak Spanish or, or what about people who, whose primary language is Chinese? What, what version should they use? He's like, well, yeah, I've never thought about that. And so I think he went away and he conferred and he came back and he said, uh, he said, well, what we believe <laughs> is that the first translation in any language is the one that should be used um, in, in that language. And I said, then why do you use the King James Version? Because it was not the first English language translation. And I talked about the Tyndale translation and other translations that come before it. 
And he went away, and I think they told him never come back and talk to me again because <laughs> I never heard from him again. But but you, you get what I'm saying is I think there's so so there's two different ways to talk about this. One one is to say that the King James has some kind of special authority or God mm-hmm. specially ordained it. I don't see any evidence to to, to say that that would be the case. Uh, you know, it, it would be hard to. I think what it is 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 for such a long time it was the version Dominant. that was used more than any other. And so when other versions began to come out, I mean, and the NIV was not the first one. The American Standard Version in 1901, uh, Revised Standard Version. Now, the Revised Standard Version did a couple things that made people upset. Um, we could talk about that sometime if you want. One, one is in Isaiah. They translated what had been translated virgin. Mm-hmm. I talk about the virgin birth in Isaiah seven. They they translated as young woman, and you mm-hmm. know there was some controversy there that that went along with that. Uh, NIV, of course, has some things that they they translated that's caused trouble. The new NIV has used gender inclusive language. We've talked about that has mm-hmm. caused some controversy. So, so I don't see any reason, you know, to to think that there's some kind of special case for that. Now there are some people, there are some scholars who make the case that the Texas Receptus is a better. Greek version that that's the more hmm. the more scholarly way to approach it but again I I find it very difficult to make that case that that you know, we have so many manuscripts now available to us we understand the way that the transmission of uh, copyist takes place much better now I think we're I, I think we we can have in fact you know kind of the irony is I think we can have great confidence in the Greek text that most of our New Testaments are translated from, uh, most versions are translated from today, um, you know, for me, they they represent the more accurate. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but no, I think that's, that's just, kind it was of the just reason. Kind of a, you know, yeah. th- that was one of the things is thinking about Bible translations is sure. like they're, you know, we talked about like some people have attachments to certain right. translations. Oh, it's more this, it's more that. Right. But there seems to be an especial adherence in some places right. to KJV and even the King James Version. Not even the new King King James version, but since the original yeah. six and eleven, there's been changes. And, and I pointed out. In fact, I showed you this before. The the if you look at the original sixteen eleven version, most people today cannot read it because it the formation of letters is different, the spelling of words is different. So if you read the word a, "son" was S U N N E. So if you read a King James version today, it's not the sixteen eleven King James version. If you it, unless you you and you can get them, you can go get a facsimile copy, or you can get a reproduction copy, but or you can buy an original if you've got lots of money. But uh, the, the the King James version you go and buy at. Well, off Amazon. I was going to say at Barnes and Noble, but nobody knows what that is anymore. Yeah, off of Amazon. Borders. Yeah, Borders. <laughs> let's, let's, go, let's go 1611. We can go back to Borders. <laughs> so so the, the King James you, you buy now has been edited, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's that's the thing. You know, if you go back to read some of the originals, you, 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 people have a really hard time reading it. So anyway. All right. Well, that was question number one. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. Where I mean, I and sure. as I mentioned, yeah. This is going to be all over the map. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Revelation, which everybody okay. loves a good yeah. you know, conversation about the book of Revelation. Right. Not to be confused by someone saying Revelations, because that it's not true, right? Well, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. I know, that, I know. I'm just saying I learned. Word. Yeah, yeah, okay. <sighs> Apocalypsis, right. Apocalypsis. All right, so the question is, you know, everybody reads or looks at the book of Revelation, and they think about the end times. Yeah. And uh, there seems to be, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, I remember this even, I mean, I'm 40, 
from 1981. It's like, oh, we're in the end times. We're in the end times. Like, sure. it's like, it's it's happening. Things are going bad. Things aren't good. Right. This is how it's going right. to happen. Like, we're reading it. And so the question is, are we in the end times now? When are the end times? <laughs> when will then be now? Yes. And the answer is yes. Next question. <laughs> no. The... Yeah, All right. so, so it, it is interesting, and and uh, I had a professor who used to do this. I've done this a little bit. I had a professor who did this a lot, though. Anytime there was somebody who made a prediction of when the end of the world was going to come, uh, he would clip it out of the newspaper, and you know he had this whole file full of things he'd bring out and say. Uh, there was a big book back, 88 Reasons Jesus Will Come in 1988, which didn't happen. Um <laughs> You know, and then you you got the Armstrongians who were thinking in the forties. You know, and so there's there's, there's mm-hmm. all these different groups that throughout history have said this is the time. It goes all the way back, the first millennium. Believe it or not, around a thousand people were thinking that. Uh, once, sixteen sixty six was a big time. There was a there was a, a huge fire in London, and you know different reasons people thought it might be the end of the world. Now you're seeing, in fact, you see it on Facebook today or different social media platforms. Um, you see people talking about things that are happening in the world that seem to indicate, well, this is, could be understood as a sign of the, of the end, end of the world. YouTube has videos. If you go out there and look that we'll talk about these things. Now I'm not making fun of any of this. Here's, here's what I would say is I do mean, yes, we are living in the last days. Um, that's what, you know, seems to be the, the new Testament understanding is Paul understood that he, he, you know, they, they were living in the last days. In fact, he uses that phrase. Uh, let me use, let me give you a couple of examples. Let, let okay. me look, look at acts two. Of course, acts two is a big, this is the day of Pentecost. We call it the birth of the church, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, 50 days after Jesus, uh, death. And, and here we have, you know, his resurrection, a period of 40 days, he appears to his apostles and uh, teaches them about the kingdom of God is how Acts chapter 1 begins. And then Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, Jesus tells you, go and, go and wait in Jerusalem and, until I send you know the Spirit upon you. We have the rushing of the mighty wind, flames, uh, uh, tongues like flames of fire set over each of their heads, and they begin to speak. And all this crowd rushes in to hear what's being said. And then Peter kind of steps up as the spokesman and gives what we understand to be the first gospel sermon, mm-hmm. Acts chapter 2. Major, right. major deal. About halfway down through that. So after, I guess I shouldn't say halfway, relatively early on, he says, what you're seeing, because the people are saying, all oh, these guys are drunk. They're all speaking in these different languages. People are understanding them in their own language. It was, it was a, a miracle, I think, to confirm what Peter was getting ready to say. And so Peter says, these men are not drunk as you understand. Instead, what what's, you're seeing now is what was prophesied in Joel. And he quotes Joel chapter 2 here. Okay. okay, so this is a quotation from the Old Testament prophet Joel, and it starts in verse 17. Uh, verse 16, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men dream dreams. So he quotes, you know, and so he says, this is what you're seeing is this is the, this is the last days. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we understand as Christians that, that, what Christ accomplished, his, his earthly ministry, ultimately his death, burial, and resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely central to God's redemptive plan for, for his creation, right? Mm-hmm. His people, but also all of creation. That Christ coming and, and his, his atoning sacrifice and his resurrection, which confirmed his, his authority and his, his identity, uh, all of that 
uh, was central to God's redemptive plan. And so everything, so that that's the final, I would say in, in some ways that's the final, or we could call it the penultimate act in God's plan. And so until then, and so here's the birth of the church, right? Here's mm-hmm. the, we're in the last days. Until Christ return then, we are in that period of time that is the end. end. The, the, <laughs> the closing act. The closing act in God's redemptive plan. Now, um, Jesus makes this clear. Uh, he, 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 I would say the two things we always need to keep in mind, well, there's, there's more than that, but at least two things we need to keep in mind when we think about any of these things. Eschatology is the fancy theological term. We probably need to do an eschatology session sometime, but, but it, it means the last things. Mm-hmm. And so anytime we think about eschatology, Jesus teaches that it, it could be it could happen any any moment, mm-hmm. that his return is imminent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would say is so so the one thing I us being concerned about signs that need to happen before the end of the world, I think sometimes may take away from the immediacy of the possibility of Jesus' return. I don't think anything else needs to happen. Until Christ returns, so Christ there, there doesn't need to be specific things that we see. There's an immediacy to it, so yeah. so that's why I think Paul can talk about Peter on the day of Pentecost can say it's the last days, and and Paul can talk about now in these in these last days. You know that that's mm-hmm. this is the time we find ourselves in. Um, but the other thing is Jesus makes clear we need to be prepared in his teaching. We need to be prepared for a long wait. Uh, the most famous example of this is the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, if you remember that, or the, yes. the wise and the foolish bridemaids. Who didn't keep their candida, the lamps lit. You have to keep the oil mm-hmm. ready because no one knows when the bridegroom will come, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the idea. It may be longer than we expect. And so the idea is we, we, we are living in a way um, – I heard one professor, really wise teacher, one time call it the ever. We live in the ever present tense. We're we're always expecting. We're always waiting for the return of Christ, but at the same time, we should prepare to endure over the long term mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, and you know, you hear about these cults every once in a while or groups that will. I can't remember. There was there was a I believe it was in South Korea. There was a group a few years back that they sold everything and they put mm-hmm. on white robes and they went up and waited on the mountaintop and. You know, the heaven's gate. I don't well, remember that one. Yeah, of course, that was a different. That was a was, comment. Yeah. yeah, theirs was kind of a weird, you know, they were saying they had special revelation. Theirs was not based on Christianity. <laughs> right. this, this group I'm talking about was based on Christianity. But they, yeah, they they said they were, well, we can talk about that another day too, maybe. But they they said they were space aliens that had special knowledge yeah. and that kind of thing. But um, anyway, yeah, that was weird. But uh, the but that idea of selling everything and 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 waiting they they were not prepared for the for the long term then i think mm-hmm. you know and 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 thinking about the endurance part of it so i think that's really what this teaching about the last days is is it's going to be a time characterized by both god's work through the gospel through through us proclaiming that's what he called us to do mm-hmm. is we're proclaiming christ return right we're we're proclaiming that god has acted in history in this ultimate act that is that is for redemption. So we're supposed to share the gospel with all people, but then also it, it's going to be a time mar- marked and characterized by these difficulties. And that's what we've seen in the book of Revelation. Now, you know, I've said before, I don't think Revelation is necessarily, and you've read a book that I've recommended uh, recently by Bruce Metzger mm-hmm. that shows this, that the book of Revelation isn't 
chronological, I don't believe, but it's more cyclical. It's showing us different aspects about what this what this age, mm-hmm. this last days that we find ourselves in, is is like. It's characterized by conflict and by trials and mm-hmm. and difficulty. So, so on the one hand, even the Book of Acts is, is characteristic of that. I'm thinking about the way the Book of Acts ends. Uh, Paul is in prison. Right. In Rome, but it says boldly without hindrance, he proclaims the kingdom of God, right? So that's kind of characteristic of the, of the last days. We're going to face trials and we're going to face difficulties. Christians should not expect that things are going to be easy. Yet at the same time, we're called to fulfill this mission and this purpose uh, of carrying out the gospel, you know, and, and right. sharing it. And not only sharing it in, in terms of words of evangelism, but living it out, you know, Living for the kingdom, as we talked about before. Let me show you another. You know, I'm a John guy, so I, now you may not know this. We've talked a lot about the Gospel of John, but I actually started studying John in the Johannine Epistles, no, First, Second, Third yeah. John. Yeah, so this is in First John, and, and as I love to point this out whenever I get this question about is it the last times. Mm-hmm. So, so this is John, <laughs> okay, and he's writing maybe toward First John is I think written after the Gospel of John. So, you know, I think the Gospel of John's earlier, but let's say sometime in the last half of the first century. So, sometime between seventy five and and hundred A.D. He's mm-hmm. he's writing this, and, and here's what he says. This is starting in verse eight, First John chapter two, starting. In, I said eight for 18. First John chapter two, starting in verse 18. Mm-hmm. Dear children, he says, this is the last hour. So, so he doesn't say the last days. He says, this is the last hour. Mm-hmm. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists, plural. By the way, this is the only place you have Antichrist that the word Antichrist is used. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably something to talk about another day as well. And And by the way, Antichrist. In popular culture, notice it's used in the plural here. In popular culture, the Antichrist is something that people have made into this historical figure that may come in the future. Mm-hmm. But I think it simply means it. it, it the Greek word I'm going to lay a little Greek on you is Antichristo, mm-hmm. Antichristos, which means Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means anti against. means against. Christ, you know, things that are against Christ, so opposed to, to the work of Christ. As you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So he's writing sometime in the end of the first century, and he's saying already there are Antichrists, there are those who are opposed to Christ in the world. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And he goes on and talks about false teachers. I think what he's talking about here are those that are working against God's kingdom, against Christianity, against against the kingdom of Christ. And so John is able to say in, in the end of the first century, it is the last hour. So again, I don't think we're talking about when somebody says, oh, you know, I, I, the way one th- thing I always say is we're a day closer today to Christ's return than we were yesterday, mm-hmm. right? So it is it is imminent, and we need to live in a way that that Christ could return at any time. But and and, and it's characterized by conflict, and you know uh, Paul says to Timothy in the last days, scoffers are going to come. Well, that's I'm sorry, that's First Peter. Um, First Timothy says in the last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves, and you know there's going to be all these difficult mm-hmm. times that come. Peter talks about that scoffers are going to come and say, oh, look, the Lord's tarried. Again, same thing I said yeah. Jesus taught. Um, so 
I think what the last days really is talking about is this era that we live in that is characterized by conflict. That's what I think the last days is about. And the reason is simply this. We may talk about the kingdom here, and I think this this might be a good good place to kind of bring this this idea in, um, is we're living in one way since the time of Jesus in God's kingdom uh, with the the power of the kingdom, the, the gospel is being proclaimed, and we see all this. But at the same time, we're continuing to live, as Jesus said to his disciples, you will continue to live in this world. I'm not taking you out of the world, mm-hmm. right? But we are living in a world that still is marked by and characterized by the work of the evil one, um, the prince of this world, as he's, he is called. Uh, and so that that is naturally going to bring tension, a time of tension and time of conflict until Christ returns. Uh, so we're we're kind of living. Paul uses this idea of two kingdoms. We live in two kingdoms right now. Uh, you think about him. He he lived in he, he understood this. He lived in in the Rome. empire of Rome, right? But he also was a citizen of the kingdom, mm-hmm. kingdom of God, and, and so that that dual <laughs> citizenship causes tension for us. It's going to be a time of, of conflict. And so no, how do I say this? No more now than it was then. Um, you know, there are times where it is worse, uh, but it, it even is different in different parts of the world right now. I mean, you talk about antichrists, there are places in the world right now that to, to confess Christ means death. It's a death sentence. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we're talking about looking for these particular signs in our culture and context where we're expecting Christ to return, you know, mm-hmm. but we live in a way that we're expecting him to return at any any time. Yeah. So recap, we're in the last days. Yeah. We've been there for 2,000 years. I think so. And we need to be prepared, but it, that still may not mean that there is still... It, it's less about the time and more about the, the situation mm-hmm. that we find ourselves in a dual citizenship kingdom. But the, it's the closing act. That's exactly it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that one. Yeah. Question number three, and we just did this yeah. one. Um, we read some talking about Jesus, talking about who he was, right? Um, and uh, him proclaiming that he was God, that he was, yes. you know, had the authority of God. Divine. And in Matthew sixteen twenty eight, we read this verse that mm-hmm. uh, talks about. Let me let me pull it up here. Okay. I'm a, I'm so this is Matthew sixteen twenty eight. Matthew sixteen twenty eight. Uh, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Right. What do we do with that? Because, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it's so, yeah, I mean, is it the, is that the, I guess it defines as his kingdom. When is his kingdom coming? So, right. Okay. So, yeah, because there's a Cause couple of everybody died that heard him say that. They're dead. Well, okay. So is this talking about his second coming, mm-hmm. which is what some people are going are gonna to point to? Uh, so that is the, the coming that we are waiting, awaiting now in 2021. I forgot, I forgot the year for a minute. Um, <laughs> so is that, is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about his return um, from, from his resurrection? Mm-hmm. And, and so here's the interesting thing about the word kingdom. Um, and, and there's a couple of different ways to understand this. And there's a couple of major, we probably at some point, I know you've been wanting to talk about this you mentioned, um, 
you mentioned dispensationalism before, mm-hmm. this kind of belief that uh, the kingdom is a very particular uh, part uh, of this of this time frame, and dispensationalism kind of breaks up all of history into these different time frames Segments. that that are characterized by God's interaction with people in various in different ways for each right. of those periods of time, and they would say, um, you know, is kingdom future? You know, is it an entirely future thing? Is it a present thing? Jesus interestingly talks about the kingdom. In, in ways that he says the kingdom is among you, for example, is one of the ways that he ref- he refers to it. Or, uh, you know, the, the, this is a, a sign of the coming of the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there's a way in which we see him talking about that even now. Let me ask you this. When, when I use the term kingdom, of course, we're, you know, we're not big on kings in, in this particular country uh, that we're setting in right now. But uh, when I talk about kingdom, what does that make you think about? Uh, a place with dominion over okay. the top of it. So, so a king is mm-hmm. one who's a kingdom has a king. It's one who has authority in that place. Or dominion is a good mm-hmm. is a good word for that. Um, a kingdom has subjects. Mm-hmm. In other words, those who 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 are under the lordship or who are under the the dominion of the of mm-hmm. the king. And, and typically, a kingdom will have area, have place, borders, yeah, right? place and borders. And, and so. Um, when we think about the kingdom of of God, I would say it is the place where God's will is accomplished, a place where there are people who are uh, bowing their knee to his his lordship and who are accomplishing his purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and and on the one hand, people would say, well, God is sovereign, so the whole world is his kingdom. And, and there's a way in which we could say that. Yet at the same time, we recognize that since since the fall, there have been aspects of God's creation that are in rebellion mm-hmm. to him right. and are not subject to him, right? Right. And so we talk about kingdom come, you know, when we use that in the future sense, there was a time coming where every knee will bow mm-hmm. and every tongue will confess, right, that Jesus, Jesus is, is Lord. Lord. And, and so that that's kind of that idea. But there is, a, not, we call this sometimes the inauguration. There's an inaugurated kingdom. There, there's the beginning of the kingdom. Uh, that we see in in Jesus, and so I think what he's referring to here is talking about the the time of well, even what we were talking about in Acts chapter two, that after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then his um, his servants, the apostles, were going to preach the gospel, and there are going to be people who are going to submit themselves to his being Lord. Mm-hmm. They're going to confess Jesus as Lord, which, by the way. In in first century Rome would have been a political statement, right? Because they're all about kingdom. C- Caesar was Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And to confess someone else's Lord is is to make yourself a rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that statement that we believe Jesus is Lord would have would have had you know implications. But I think what he's talking about is some of you are standing here will see that happen. We'll see that kingdom come. So I don't understand the the kingdom to be an entirely future thing. I think it is, in, in fact, the way we often talk about it is an already not yet. Mm-hmm. In other words, there's an aspect of the kingdom that has begun, but it, it, so we'll sometimes say it's inaugurated, but it is not yet consummated. That it's it's begun, but it's not yet to its fullness. Mm-hmm. That we will see the kingdom be. There will be a day where, again, all of God's creation is under his lordship. 
All of it. Yeah. So I was just reading, um, and maybe this analogy works or maybe it doesn't. Um, I was reading uh, Robert Lowry's book on yeah. Revelation. Revelation's and, Rhapsody. And, and ta- really good book. Yeah. It's a it's a very good book. Yeah. I'm about 70 pages into it. But he talks about like how we understand this. And part of it is is uh, is for those who lived in World War II or whatever, like D-Day and V-Day. Oh, yeah. Like the, sure. the battle has... Like it was D Day was decisive in that like sure. the tide has turned and like yeah. victory is it, mm-hmm. but it's just victory complete victory has not been so so Christ has Christ has defeated death he has defeated the enemy mm-hmm. at the cross and in his resurrection but yet there's the the death throes if yeah. you will and that's the thing we see. Um, Book of Revelation, and of course, you know, I always say, you know, you're in trouble when you start using the book of Revelation to explain the, <laughs> the rest, rest of the, the Bible. Bible. But uh, you have this this time where the red dragon comes and he's trying to devour the the one that's born of woman. Mm-hmm. So there's that that battle and that victory. But then Michael grabs the red dragon and throws him down to the earth. Right. And and there's that idea of utter defeat. You know, I always say it's kind of like the wrestling move of the, you know, or the slam him down on the yeah. mat, you know? And, and so there's that, but there's the death throes, right? That, that, that there's still that, that thrashing. ongoing, that thrashing and that ongoing nature. And so yeah, yeah the D day V day, then the victory is finally, uh, you know, it, it's decisively done. You right. Know, God, it, there's not other work. Well, there is other, it, 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 it breaks down. Well, but it's not, yeah, it's not the work. It's not the work of, of the redemption, but it is the announcement of what work mm-hmm. God has done in Christ. That's what mm-hmm. we're called to do. And, and so that, you know, the, the victory has been won. And now we are people who are, you know, promoting and, and, and living out the kingdom and, and, you know, fulfilling the kingdom in that way. But then it's going to be consummated when Christ returns. So I think what he's talking about here is the, what I would understand to be the inauguration of the kingdom. You okay. And, okay. And so Very good. That was just uh, was a question. Yeah. And speaking of, since we're using warfare here, <laughs> I this final question. Sure. Um, and I think this is, so I had a conversation with someone recently, yeah. a, a listener with us, and um, just working through what the things that he's working through scripture, like sure. things that he's wrestling with. Right. And one of the things is, talking about warfare here a little bit, is the Old Testament God, you know, that the... the, the, right. the, the what we see in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and then what we see in Jesus. Like there seems to be a um uh, an ethical shift, if you would, okay. that we see that God is commanding the, the nation of Israel to move through in such a way and that there are there are casualties along the sure. way. Like in some that we might even say today are innocent. Can- Canaanite genocide is yeah. usually brought up yeah, in this. Yeah. So, you know, so like they go into the land of Canaan and you yes. know, the entire nation. Yeah, yeah. So massacred. as the nation of Israel is moving through, like it's not it's not a pretty thing right. and then you see you know and then you have Jesus come who seems to be much more the pacifist nature you know like okay. um so how do we yeah uh, i don't want to say god versus jesus here but, um <laughs> you just did but i so, but i did so here's the thing but I, I didn't think want to th- this is an old this has been going on a long time there's you know there's been right. people who've said you know for a long time in the history of christianity well the god of the old testament is different than the god of jesus christ or or, mm-hmm. or jesus and and i think the there's a couple of problems here 
I, I disagree with that. First of all, <laughs> right. say, let me say categorically, I, I, I disagree with this yes. in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. While I do acknowledge that the difficulty, you know, obviously if it's been going on a long time, there is, there's something there. Um, but let me, let me kind of say this. The first thing is I'll say my presupposition is that the Bible as a whole, I mean, I've said this before, I believe, and, and I'll say, I say presupposition here. It's based upon evidence, but, mm-hmm. but my, my belief is that the word of God in its entirety, as we have it in the, in the 66 books of the, of the, of the Bible is the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus confirms the Old Testament as the Word of God, uh, and and you know the New Testament is confirmed as the Word of God. You know, I, I believe that this is the Word of God uh, in, in in its entirety. I believe it is it is without. I believe it's infallible, and I I will even I don't know if I should say this. I'll say it's inerrant. I believe that mm-hmm. uh, there are people who would quibble with that word, but I I believe in it is inspired. Um, I believe in verbal plenary inspiration. It is entirely and and to the level of word inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. Talked about that some before. It's inerrant. Uh, I believe that. So my my approach is typically going to be in a way where I believe that is without contradiction and anything that is apparent contradiction or or apparently has this kind of um, difference is going to be a matter of our understanding or our perspective that needs to be changed not the word of god needs to be changed mm-hmm. so i'm just going to i'm just going to lay that out there okay now this is a pretty major thing now there you know you could apply that to what seem to be minor contradictions but but this is a pretty major shift that some people are going to see and i think it has been this is the second thing i'll say it's been exaggerated i think in in some ways the first thing i'll say is when people people sometimes will talk about law versus grace mm-hmm. uh, and of course paul uses even that that kind of language but i think maybe that's a misunderstanding i think the works of the law that we see in the old testament have an element of grace to it in other words i think we can see god's grace and mercy in the Old Testament as well. I've mentioned it before in the garden. You know, God said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you're going to die. The fact that he allows Adam and Eve to continue to live, and, and even in his announcement of the curse in, in chapter 3, mentions this future salvation that will come through the one born of woman, mm-hmm. um, or the proto-evangelium in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that, that's mercy, right? Uh, that, that's grace. Even the law... And you have to be very careful here. Even the law contains grace. And what I mean is this. When you offer a sacrifice, there, there's a couple of things happening. Uh, what, what God is doing is he's saying there's a way in which your sins can be. And, and I, I know the book of Hebrews, so don't don't write me nasty letters. <laughs> um, but, but there's a way in which sins can be forgiven in the sense that they're they're being pushed back. You know, Hebrew writer says push back year after year, right? But but there's a there's a way in which you are not you're able to have your sins atoned for by another. Mm-hmm. So when you lay your hands on that goat and you symbolically and I understand the Lord place your sins on it. Place your sins on that. And I understand the bull, blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. <laughs> I know the, I know what the Bible says, but but when you do that God is teaching us a couple of things. He's teaching us that there's a way in which someone else can stand in for our mm-hmm. for our our infraction, our our um, 
lawlessness, our rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there's the idea of substitute, substitutionary atonement. And then the other part of it, I think, is that he's saying there's a way in which our, our sins can be forgiven. And, and then ultimately, of course, we see that in, the, in Jesus. That's what he's preparing us for. And so then Jesus becomes the Passover lamb. And, and um, you know, John the Baptist sees him and says, behold, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, you know, and we get, mm-hmm. we get all of that. And so, so there's grace in the Old Testament, I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to say, that even that system – which to us seems very burdensome, and mm-hmm. we go, man, what, what what would that have been like? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a system of grace. It, it was God allowing people uh, a way to recognize their failure, recognize their separation from Him, and to draw near to Him with with a clean conscience. Okay. Mm-hmm. And again, it was pointing towards something greater. I'm not right. saying it law was an end in itself. It was pointing towards something much greater. And that's mm-hmm. what the whole Hebrew book of Hebrews is about. The whole Hebrew writer saying greater high priest, greater tabernacle, greater all sacrifice. The, all these things all had purpose. Were, t- were types and pointed toward toward Jesus, I think. So, so there's that. Second thing is this. Uh, you, you said, well, Jesus is a pacifist, and, and I kind of rolled my eyes then, and here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'm not saying he's a pacifist. Well, this is a passage that we, we could have looked at earlier today in another episode we were doing. Oh, I just gave away a secret. We did two episodes today. Um, dun, dun, dun. But, but earlier today, we were talking about that it is the passage where we talked about Jesus' divinity. You mentioned it mm-hmm. earlier. And Jesus says, for this reason, I've come into the world. He says, I, I've come into the world to bring not fire. peace, but a sword. Well, a fire, not peace, but a sword is another one I could have read. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't sound very pacifistic to me, right? I don't know. Uh, you know, he says, I'm going to turn son against mm-hmm. father and, and mm-hmm. daughter against mother. You know, and, and so now – Again, we we need to understand these things within context. I'm not. I'm not. I, I do understand. I'm not denying the, the the difficulty. But one of the things I'll point out, especially in the Book of Acts, mm-hmm. but there's even other places. I'll give you exa- at least one example. But even in the Book of Acts, there are people who are killed, right, mm-hmm. by God. Right. They drop dead. I seem to remember Ananias and Sapphira, yeah. for example. Give us all the money, <laughs> right? Well, and and yeah, they 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 you know, um, Peter prophesied it, and they both dropped dead, according to the song. Um, you according know, to the song, <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know, the Holy Spirit is is the one who's mentioned there. Um, and, and so, Ananias and Sapphira die, as an example. Herod is another example. In the book of Acts, mm-hmm. who seemed to be who seems to be under the judgment of of God because of his um, you know arrogance and his claiming uh, you know divine nature, um, even even other places there seems to be this idea of of the enemies of God's people, and and then of course the book of Revelation is full of these kind of images mm-hmm. that you have. Of those who are opposed, even even though they've been they've heard the word and they've continued to oppose it, uh, they receive well. Paul do punishment. Romans chapter one is another place. You know they they receive the punishment of rejecting 
uh, God. So I guess here's what I'm trying to say is I think sometimes that has been exaggerated. It's because of our failure to recognize the grace of the Old Testament and the judgment of the New Testament, okay? Mm-hmm. That that the New Testament isn't simply, you know, about so, – so the Old Testament is not devoid of grace and the New Testament is not only about grace without the recognition of, of judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the book of Hebrews several times. Hebrews chapter 10 um, – you might remember um, what a dreadful thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God, right? If if uh, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, talking about the Old Testament, people died, then how much more severely will those be treated who've uh, treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant, and trampled underfoot the Son of God? It's that's pretty strong language. That's the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the book of Hebrews. Right. But, but you get what I'm saying is that there seems to be that kind of language there as well. That um, we need to we need to wrestle with. We need to recognize. And, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is I think the message is much more consistent than people want to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I believe the covenant of the Old Testament, uh, the the promise that God made to Abraham is is fulfilled in Jesus. This idea that you your offspring will be a blessing to all people on the face of the earth. Paul makes this argument. He said seed, not seeds. You know, he's talking about yes, Jesus. He's yeah. not talking about the the nation. He's talking about Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of that covenant. Uh, and and you know, we are heirs of the covenant and the promises. So it it it's um, you know, we've talked about this idea of progressive revelation before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't I, I think it is it is consistent. The revelation might be ongoing, and ultimately, Hebrew writer, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. But uh, it doesn't mean that somehow it's changed or somehow it's it's it's, it's in contrast. So does that yeah help? Or yeah, that's good. I does that bring I, up other questions? No, or? I think that's a really interesting way to think about that because I think it's um, and you and I have had this conversation before, and I think we talked a little bit about this. Um, and I read the book uh, Palestinians uh, first. Oh gosh, what's his name? E.P. Sanders. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So understanding uh, that, like— First century Judaism. First yeah, century— yeah, that, Palestinian that, Judaism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Palestinian, first yeah, century— E.P. Yeah, e. Sanders book. E.P. Right. Sanders book, yeah. Ed, or Ed Sanders, is yeah. that what you call him? Um, but, the, like, the, the, the Jewish nation saw that there was a way— there was atonement. Like, it wasn't—that right. we didn't always see it burdensome. But I think we sometimes put the juxtaposition between the sure. New Testament and the Old Testament of thinking, like— the Old Testament is just like full on burden, yeah, and the New Testament is full on right peace and easy. And and, and right. Jesus says, "My you know, take up my yoke, my yeah. burden is easy." But there's still there's the it's not a total devoid. Like there right. is judgment. Well, let me mention one more thing, and I I hadn't just thought of this till just now. And and I think this applies to much more. We could talk about this a long time. In fact, I have a whole class where I talk a lot about this. But but. Um, you know, the other thing is people talk about, well, in the Old Testament, you talk about discrimination. Well, it was just Israel. It was about the, and, and the New Testament, it's about the nations. Not necessarily. I mean, in in, in Israel, and Paul talks about this in, in chapters, uh, Romans chapters 9 through 11, but, but even in the Old Testament, it makes clear from the foundation of the nation of Israel, when they leave Egypt, for example, it says that it talks about the tribes going up, and it says many others went up with them, who had seen mm-hmm. Yahweh's work, had seen things God had done in the in the plagues, and who become believers. And so, from the beginning, the nation of Israel was made up of foreigners. And in fact, if you think about it, throughout the law, there's a whole section about how a foreigner can be included within right. the nation, uh, and, and and really what God 
asked of Israel, what God expected of Israel, was that they would be a nation of priests. So what he wanted from them was to be intercessors as a nation between himself and the other nations. That's that's what his desire was. And, and there are times they did that. Uh, well, what's the whole book of Ruth about? You know, right, exactly. uh, the greatest king Israel ever had had in his – in his um, lineage, uh, lineage Midianites, right, and had had uh, others as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- you know, that's the whole point: is that that the greatest king of Israel was not a pure blood descendant of Abraham, right? It was never about Israel. Was never about race. I don't think. And and again, that's something that I think we've exaggerated sometimes. Oh. It's all about just the nation of Israel here, and this is about all the nations. But I think even in the Old Testament, God was saying that you're, you know, the things I'm doing for you are before the nations, and and the things that are are condemning the nations and testifying to the nations, and and this kind of thing. So, yeah, well, just occurred great. to me as you were talking about that. No, I think that's good. It's and I think it's interesting to go back because I think again we we look at the Old Testament. It's like it's law, 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 and it's. They hated themselves, but it was like uh, they even saw themselves in their yeah. grace right. in it, right. and that. And, and in the New Testament, we have to balance it out that, like, yes, Jesus comes and is a liberator of uh, of sorts, but that there is also judgment. I think that's true, and, I and think as well. That's true. So that's how we can see those two. Uh, those two working together. Yep. So, yep. well, hey, there we go. Experimental episode questions. <laughs> and this just for anyone that's you know yeah. watching and listening, like, send us your questions. Like, yeah. I, I I don't. I don't want to under exaggerate how meaningful that is yeah, to us. It is. Like for it for to hear feedback um from you as listeners and also to give us questions. Cause I think, yeah. you know, I've I've said this a couple times. Like you and I kind of try to think like, oh, this would be interesting to talk about or yeah. something interesting to talk about. But um, you know, hearing back from those that that are listening on a regular basis, or even if you're just listening a couple yeah. times, like let us know what you think. We'd like to um continue to craft this and make this meaningful for you yeah. and uh answer questions. Cause Obviously, even as we talk about something, we admit we're skipping off the top right. of some of the stuff. Like you know, podcasts I've been listening to for a long time, and I never realized till I did one. It, it's kind of like whistling in the dark in a way, right? You're you're uh, you're you're speaking into the air, and you're thinking, "Is anybody out there listening?" You know, and so it's been nice because we did a lot of these before we ever yes. ever published them. But it's been nice we started to get some feedback, and yeah. they're clearly we're starting to get some listeners pick up, which is which is yeah. really good. And I'll say, you know, continue to uh, look for ways to to spread the word about what we're doing and um you know yeah if you're, it'd be great to have your have your question yeah you if, if you're on facebook and you want to share with some friends that'd be fantastic yeah. um you know and and even if you go on our facebook page and send us questions or sure. comments we, we'd love yeah. to do that I, I mean it's encouraging to us yeah <laughs> we know people are listening you know but right uh, to getting that feedback is really important for us and we know we want to make this again i think we've said this many times is we want it to be positive and a resource right so like if you're teaching bible studies or you're in the church um you know that we can we can produce content that's meaningful and helpful yeah, for you as well. helpful yeah all right well uh, am i going to try sign yeah off you do now? sign off now so we're, we're this is the ex- other experimental part we're may, doing sign offs may so. your bellies be full your coffee cups overflowing and your bibles always open wow nice I like that sign off thanks so much for listening to this episode of ryan and brian's bible bistro next week brian and i are talking about the reasonableness of faith in jesus that faith in jesus is not just some blind jump into the unknown but that god can be known we hope you'll join us for that You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com, as well as sign up for our email newsletter to stay in touch, but also to get some exclusive content. 
You can find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube at The Bible Bistro. On YouTube, it's uh, Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, but on Facebook and Instagram, it's just The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next Tuesday.